have a little reading something to do, Michael? Yes. Okay. I think I see the coming. This one just sees we will... One through eight, right? Is it one through eight, one? Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. There you go. Genesis 16, one through eight. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not borne him children, but she had an Egyptian slave girl. Her name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now, look now. Abram has prevented, or excuse me, Adonai has prevented me from having children. Go, please, to my slave girl. Perhaps I'll get a son by her. Abram listened to Sarah's voice. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her slave girl Hagar, the Egyptian, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to Abram, her husband, to be his wife. Then he went to Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, in her eyes her mistress was belittled. So Sarai said to Abram, Abram, the wrong done to me is because of you. I myself placed my slave girl in your embrace. Now she saw that she became pregnant, so in her eyes I am belittled. May Adonai judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, look, your slave girl is in your hand. Do to her whatever is good in your eyes. So Sarai afflicted her, and she fled from her presence. Then the angel of Adonai found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, next to the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's slave girl, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. So I'm going to be on the wireless lap, so because that one tends to get in the way of my fingers. <laughs> so <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have had different relationships throughout your life that have brought you to the Lord. For every person, it all begins with someone that believes in you, someone who is willing to take the time and maybe talk to you, maybe uh, talk to you about the Lord. What does that look like at times? And when I was looking at this passage, I looked at this as relationships of faith. Both Sarai and Hagar had an influence on Abraham's faith and how they were to work with each other and how they were to deal with each other. And the scripture doesn't tell us a lot about Hagar. We, we don't know who she was up to this point. She's being introduced we, um, we know she's an Egyptian, a maidservant. We probably, she's probably been acquired when they went to Egypt during their visit back in chapter 12 when they fled the land of Canaan to go there because of the famine. And we see that she ended up living with Abram for about 10 years at, to, when we're looking at this passage because the passage begins... Ten years after the last chapter had ended, or close to that at least. And so in verse 2, Sarah says, So Sarai said to Avram, Now Adonai has kept me from having children. So go in and sleep with my slave girl. 
maybe I'll be able to have children through her. Now, the first thing I thought of when I was looking at this and reading this is Sarai exactly where Avram was in the last chapter. I mean, we look at them in terms of we turn one page and we're in the next chapter, but there's been 10 years that have gone by here in this interim. And it made me wonder, what is Sarah's relationship with the Lord? Does Sarai have a relationship with God? What does that look like? Has God ever spoken to her? Or is it all being through the filter of Avram? Has all she's heard about God is how God showed up to him and God was leading us to go here and there. And the one instance where we see Sarai really being affected by God was on that trip back to Egypt. And this is what it says. This is from Genesis 12, 17 to 19. But Adonai inflicted great plagues on Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Pharaoh called Avram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister? Why did you say to me she is my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go away. And I thought that was an interesting part because here's the part in Scripture where God is protecting this marriage. And we see this later in chapter 20. And we see that it's specifically done because Sarai is to bring forth nations. It's to be, the promise was to come forth through Sarai. But we, Sarai doesn't seem to equate that God restraining her may have something to do with how he delivered them in Egypt. And it, it comes back to the greater question, what is the relationship with Sarai and the Lord? And for some people, it's easy to just sit there and say, you know, my relationship to the Lord is through my husband or through my wife. They're the real big cheese in this. I'm just kind of carrying the bag. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. But I think God wants each and every heart. He wants each and every person to come to him. And we'll see that as we get farther into the text. And we see that Abram ends up listening to Sarai and doing what Sarai wants. And because of this, what is Sarah's, the fruit of Sarah's labor and all these things? She's honestly thinking, this is how I'll build up my house so that we'll have children. And God didn't tell her, don't do this. But she saw that the dilemma came from God and she chose to act. She chose to have a zeal in her actions with God. And I challenge us at times because many times we'll see a need. We see what we're lacking, as Rabbi David pointed out a couple weeks back when he was talking in Genesis 15 and saying, you know, we can sometimes see what's lacking in our life and we think, well, we'll go forth and make it happen. We'll go forth and be zealous about it. And I challenge every person at times when you're doing something and you're being zealous about it at times, there's sometimes, and it might be a good intention, but is it really what God is intending to have happen? 
Is it what God really wants to happen? And this is what God had said to Abram. And I thought that maybe he would have told Sarai this, back from Genesis 15 and verses 4 and 5. The word of Adonai came to him. This man, meaning Eliezer, will not be your heir. Your, but your heir will be a child from your own body. Then he brought him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If you can count them, your descendants will be that many. And this comes back into play later in the passage today because of, if you look further down in 16, some of this language is very similar to what's told about Yishmael. And so a lot of what's taking place is what we see the fruit as conflict. Conflict and how conflict is to come about. And conflict is a God thing. I know a lot of people don't like conflict, but it comes from the Lord. Abraham and Sarah want children. We know children are a gift according to what the Bible tells us. We know that they're a value, a great value in the ancient world. But today, unfortunately, times have changed and people look at children as maybe an annoyance or a burden at times, keeping them from what their life is to be. And it's important to always come back to that. Why does God give us children? It's a stewardship, and it's so much more. It's a relationship, it's a discipleship. What God wants us to do with our children. Now whether Sarah's helping God out here, or maybe this is her way of saying, who's the problem in this relationship? Why aren't we getting pregnant? Is it me or Avram? Let's find out. You know, she went forth in doing this. She has conflict now. She has conflict between her and Hagar. She has conflict between her and Avram. And we see what she chooses to do by that. She chooses to go ahead and mistreat Hagar in the midst of that. And so I, I like to say, how do we sometimes deal with the conflict when it comes to our life? Do we look at conflict as God's opportunities? God wants to work in our conflicts. He wants to be invited in. He's willing to get with us in the midst of those things. And conflicts, I, I, I want to let you know, conflicts, if you're new to us or if you're your first time here today, conflicts are never if, but when. Yeah. If someone hasn't stepped on your toes yet, don't worry. Stick around, they will. They will. And on that note, it always takes two to make peace. But it only takes one to have conflict. And sooner or later, we're going to see that in our lives. God is the only one who knows all the facts in every situation. And that's why he's got to be invited into our conflicts. He's got to stand with us in our conflicts. And one of the good things about conflicts is that you sometimes will find out about sin. Because sin is sin no matter who does it. If I'm doing it, or Rabbi David, or anyone, sin is still going to be sin. If you're interested in our membership, we talk about how you deal with conflict, and we talk about it in terms of speaking the truth in love. And Yeshua tells that we lay the evidence out before our brothers, even if they keep sinning against us 70 times. 
And I like the part, the way Luke puts it in his chapter, because at the end of that, the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And I thought, why do the disciples say that? Because conflict is to be on center stage at times in a faith walk. Conflict that comes forth in the center stage when we're growing, when we're changing, when our faith is being strengthened. Whether it's conflict from demons, whether it's conflict from the world, whether it's conflict from myself, you know, any of these conflicts can come about and they can be faith opportunities for our faith to grow and stretch as we learn. And in the midst of conflict, we have to be listeners. We have to be humble and think, what are we supposed to do in this particular situation in which we find ourselves? And so um, I like the way James puts it when it comes to listening. James 1, 19 and 20. Therefore, my dear brothers, let every person be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to get angry. For a person's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And so it's important that we learn how to listen and learn how to be ready to, in fact, do what we need to do. We might have had, we may think in a conflict, we're in the right. And we may have had some really good intentions to go forth and do in the midst of a conflict. But the fact is, if they're not part of God's intentions, we may see those good intentions to be revealed as sin. And something we need to repent and change from. And when we talk about humility, humility is simply learning to have power under control. Humility is many times misunderstood because it means that you take a lackluster approach to things or you take a backseat giving up your authority or giving up your position. But no, it's simply understanding that power is being under control. I like the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5. He says it like this, Likewise, you who are less experienced, submit to leaders. Furthermore, all of you should clothe yourselves in humility. All of you. Toward one another, because God opposes the arrogant, but gives but gives to the humble, he gives grace. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the right time, he may lift you up. <clears throat> throw, all your, um, throw all your anxieties upon him, because he cares about you. And in the midst of a conflict, there's lots of anxieties. Is this person going to get mad? Is this person going to walk out? And it's important that, because we see in the story, that's what Hagar did. She ran away. She ran away from the conflict that was in the house. And it's interesting because I think as believers, we tend to run away from things too. Whether it's, it may not be a conflict. Maybe we're okay with a conflict, but maybe we like to run away from other things that God may be calling us to do, or tough challenges, or faith things where God wants us to believe. And the human condition in conflicts is to either fight or flight. And we see that Hagar chooses that in this 
situation. And we see that God stops her. God stops her. He meets her on her flight. And I love this passage because there's so much here. This is the first divine appointment we see at a well. And we know that in Genesis there will be some more divine appointments at a well. Yeshua and the Samaritan woman later in John will have a divine appointment at the well. We see Eliezer and Rebekah. We see Rachel and Jacob. All these different divine appointments. Moses and Miriam, they meet at a well. And we see an angel appearing to Hagar, a Gentile. Maybe this is the first time an angel's ever appeared to a Gentile. I don't know. But it's very interesting. The geography of Shur, it seems to indicate that it was the last oasis in the land of Canaan. So Hagar is not only running, but she's running back to what she feels is familiar. She's running back to Egypt. And I like the gentleness of the angel. He asks her two simple questions. Where have you come from? And where are you going? When we're in the midst of conflict, those are questions we should ask ourselves. What are we trying to do? Where are we going? Where are we coming from? What have we learned? And these are the questions the angel simply asks her. Because Hagar in her flight, if you think about it, she hasn't well thought this out. She's probably in a hurry, and she's probably acting in emotion and not considering what it means to abandon Abram and Sarai's home. What is that going to look like for her? And so Hagar admits to the angel, I'm running away. I'm running away from Sarai. And it's a difficult situation. When we look back at verse 6, it says what, hey, what was happening. This is how verse 6 in chapter 16 reads. However, Avram answered Sarai, Look, she's your slave girl. Deal with her as you think fit. Then Sarai mistreated her so harshly that she ran away from her. The Hebrew word here for the word mistreat is anah. And it's interesting that the two words appear twice in this passage, anah. Um, it has two different forms, though. And this is sometimes what we see about Hebrew that's interesting. It has a negative form here, where anah has the sense to humiliate somebody, in verse 6. And then later in verse 9, we see it more in a positive form, to maybe be submissive or be humble in a situation. And hum humility is important because I don't think a lot of times we always practice restraint. Sometimes people say, I can do this, though. This is wonderful. I can go 70 miles an hour. And I'm like, yeah, but should you? <laughs> it might not be the wisest thing, especially when it's dark and there's tough corners and you might not see someone coming out around a corner. But Hagar was clearly mistreated by Sarai here, and I believe Sarai is definitely in the wrong on that. And the fact is, in any conflict, we need prayer. We need to pray, but in this conflict especially, because there's a subordinate and an authority here. And those are sometimes some of the hardest conflicts, whether it's a teacher, or a professor, or a boss, or 
a rabbi or an elder, maybe we're having a conflict with him, what do we do? How do we, how do we handle those situations? And praying is so important in these situations because we want to be in step with what the Lord wants us to do. Running away, as Hagar chooses, doesn't change the problem with Sarai. In fact, she's headed into the wilderness all alone. She probably is going to encounter all kinds of problems, potentially. Not only is she going to be alone, she's pregnant. She's in a more vulnerable state. She's hurting. We know she's hurting at least emotionally. We don't know if there's other hurts that are involved. And we know the wilderness has predators, both animal and human. There's dire conditions of wind and heat in a desert wilderness that she's going into. And we've also seen this. How has she dealt with the conflict with Sarah? Not very well. And who knows what kind of conflict is going to come ahead of her. So the angel of the Lord simply says to her, Go back to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Now, it's important to understand that when you submit to authority, what it's not saying. I don't think anyone should ever submit to abuse. But it's important to submit to authority. Because when we submit to authority, we honor God. We understand that all authority comes from God, and all authority is about God. And so when we stop and we agree to submit to the authority, whether it's in a congregation or at school or on the road, we are honoring the Lord. The angel also tells her to return. Return, this is the word shuv, as we sometimes see it uh, translated as repent. In conflicts, both sides may have things they need to own. We are not only told to be humble, but we should be ready to repent if we've done something wrong. Or maybe something will be revealed of what's been done wrong that we didn't know we were doing. And so I like how in Ephesians it says this, Ephesians 5, 20 and 21. Always give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. Submit to Submit to one another in fear of the Messiah. That's talking to all of us. We all have to learn that each person here is under some kind of authority. And how we choose to act on that is important. And the angel at times is comforting here because he tells Hagar that she's going to receive good things when she returns and submits. And this is what he says in, back in chapter 16, verse 10. The angel of Adonai said to her, I will greatly increase your descendants. There will be so many that it will be impossible to count them. And the angel said again, the angel of the Lord said to her again, Look, you are pregnant and you will have a son. You are to call him Yishmael. God pays attention, is the way this translates it, because Adonai has paid attention to you. 
Now, a lot of times when we think about God and how God sees everything, and maybe we're a, we're a little paranoid about that because we see how many cameras there are today, but the fact is, it's not about God seeing things that we sometimes think about. It's more about how God sees our hurts and how he cares greatly about Hagar in this situation, that he sees what's happening to her. He sees the injustice that she's going through. He's telling her, in spite of that, she's in a blessed place. She's going to have a son. That was a big deal in the ancient culture, to have a son, because the son meant so much more. And I like the fact that God speaks to her here in his own language, in a way that both Hagar can understand and that God can get his point across. And that's important for us because God wants to speak to each and every person on some level and tell them what he has for them. So he can speak to us in a way that we understand. He can speak to us when we're asleep. Sometimes that's the good way where we're not talking and both ears are open. Maybe he wants to get your attention in a vision or... Maybe he wants to get it through someone else. In fact, God can even use any platform, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, your text number, whatever it is. God can get a hold of you. And that's what happened with here with Hagar. And the thing I like about this situation is how it affected Hagar. It really affected Hagar in a way of faith. These messages Rabbi Haim wanted us to circle in on faith. How do we believe good stuff? How do we believe God in the midst of conflict? How do we believe when things look at their worst? And God wants our faith to be strengthened. He wants us to believe things will change, things will get better. Because sometimes in the midst of suffering or in the midst of conflict, we don't always see the good that's going to come from that. We just are looking at the suffering part. I'm suffering right now. This person isn't listening to me. Or I'm having a tough day. And God is able to help us in the midst of bad days. I like the way Peter says it. Back to 1 Peter 5 and verses 10 and 11. He says, you will have to suffer only a little while. And I always like to say, well, what's a little while? <laughs> After that, God, who is full of grace, the one who called you to his eternal glory in union with the Messiah, will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you and make you firm. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And it's only through God's power that we're able to do things. It's through God's power that we're able to to go forth and be able to do anything effectively. And I like that the fact that God's word is applying to a different people group here. Maybe this is um, a people group that you didn't think of. Ishmael's descendants. There's not given a lot of screen time to them in the Bible. But the Arabs are blessed through this blessing to Ishmael. And God has wanted to get a hold of the Arabs. Unfortunately, today we hear a lot of bad press about Arabs or Muslims or whatever you want to call them, those that live on that part of the world. God still wants to reveal himself to that people group. 
And maybe He wants you to be involved in that. It all begins with prayer and faith that God will use us. But maybe it's not a people group like the Arabs. Maybe it's a difficult people group in your own life. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's someone who's gay. Maybe you're not used to sharing with someone like that or being a friend to them or someone who's homeless. Sometimes people are like, ooh, I don't want to be near them. But God wants to sometimes reach these people. And the only way he can is through us. And so this meeting had a profound effect on her. And we need to pray that God will reveal himself to Ishmael's descendants today. It's an important people group. Still. And so God, we see that Hagar returned and had the child. And how Abram heard and learned about all the things that God had a plan for Ishmael. Because God, we may think this is where Abram and Sarai really screwed things up. They tried to step out of God's will. And, and it's easy to take that perspective. But we have to remember our God is a God of despite us. He can work things out in spite of what we choose to do. And so in conclusion, you know, it's important. Sometimes we have good intentions, but are they God's intentions? What are God's intentions for us? And it's important that even though we see a need, we shouldn't just necessarily act zealously, but we should just pray and ask the Lord. What do we do with conflict, and how do we invite God in? Because God wants to be in our conflicts with us. He wants to build and strengthen our faith through them. Suffering, suffering is sometimes in conflict, and sometimes we have to wait for the Lord to move. And the humility and restraint, what do we learn from these values? Maybe it's not necessarily with a relationship. Maybe it's not taking that extra cookie. Or maybe not having that extra dessert. It can be in any part of our life. And blessing comes forward when we move forward from conflict. Because we're strengthened and our faith is changed. And hopefully that we believe God will change people. Because God is the ultimate changer. He changed me, and I hope he changes you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many lessons of Hagar and Sarah. And Lord, most importantly, how they had a profound effect on Abram, and how they have eventually an effect on Yishmael, Lord. Thank you for these two women. Lord, I thank you that you used each of them in a different way in Avram's life. And I pray how you want to use us too, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't always look on the midst of our suffering or our conflicts, but that we would look to you in how you are able to speak to us, how you are able to teach us humility and restraint, how you are able to be there in the midst of every problem we have, and most importantly, how you want to change and grow us through our problems. We pray, Lord, that you would receive much honor and glory in this message. In Yeshua's mighty name, amen.